Hey, this is part two of my epic chat with Dave Swift. If you haven't heard part one yet, make sure to check that out. We're jumping right in here in part two, and we're just talking about his amazing collection of pictures he's taken over the year with all the famous people that have been on Jules Holland. And that's the reason why I was very glad that I kept, I kept up my trombone chops, mm. even though I don't play it that much these days. But it, that was kind of fun. And, I, and I've got some, some nice pictures in the studio of me actually... So yeah, it's quite perverse how that worked out. You know, so, uh, I think it's great the way you archive your. Like, I even regret my own career not getting more pictures that with certain people I met, and that I think it's really uh, cool because your Instagram, you put up lots of pictures. That's great that you yeah. consciously archive all this stuff because it's so fun to look back at instead of just saying, "Oh, I wish I had that picture from that gig or that time yeah, I met this person." Sure. Well, I mean, I didn't do it like I said at the very beginning. You know, with, with the early later stuff. The only reason why I've got anything is because it was shown on TV and I recorded it. But having pictures taken, I didn't used to do that in the very, very early days. So there was lots of missed opportunities. But then I was also very aware of the fact that you've got to be really careful when you're working with these artists that you don't overstep the mark. Because, you know, you need to be um, personable with them. You know, you need to be sort of nice and pleasant but, you know, you can't be too chummy with them. You can't mm. sort of go up to them and, you know, B.B. King and sort of start patting him <laughs> on the back saying, B.B., my man, how's it going? You know, there's certain things, there's certain yeah. sort of limits and that. So so I think early on when I was younger, because I, I was in my 20s when I got the Jules gig, um, I think when I was younger, I I didn't do that because I, I was I thought to myself, you know, maybe maybe it's not the right thing to do. And I wasn't confident enough to do it mm. i'm sure a lot of them would have been fine and this was because before smartphones yeah. as well so it would have had to have been a camera but i i think you know i just didn't have the confidence to do it and then as time went on and because you know my, my dad uh passed away in fact uh not, not not wanting to get too deeply into it but uh he actually passed away on on today okay. on this day uh back in 93 back in 1993 now bear in mind <clears throat> that my dad uh, we don't the, the Jules TV show had only just started then, so I don't think my dad ever saw me on TV, and he, he never came to a Jules gig. He because he, he passed away quite suddenly. <clears throat> so I think the thing is is because I I always regret that I always regret that he never saw, you know, he saw the first ten years, but he didn't see the others after that, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and I was always kind of a little bit sort of. Uh, you know, I always thought it was a great shame stuff. So, so I kind of thought to myself, I still had my mum up, up until a couple of years ago. So I think I started to archive stuff for her because she she wasn't able to come and see me play, and and, and she was never she couldn't stay up late enough to watch the TV. So I think I did it as much for her. You know, I wanted to be able to sort of go to my mum and say, "Mum, this is what I've been up to. Yeah. This is what I've been doing." Because I never got to do that with my dad. Mm. So I think that's where that came up. But of course, uh, I only met my my partner, who's now my wife, Lucy. I only met her uh, six years ago, and our son Oscar is is now four. So it, it's fantastic that I've got this stuff for him now. It, yeah. it, it's taken on this archiving of stuff has taken on a whole new thing because it's just nice, I guess. Well, hopefully he'll be proud of what I've done. Yeah, when he's old <laughs> enough to pre appreciate who Sir Paul McCartney is, I think well, he'll exactly. be impressed. Like. Yeah, maybe he'll be watching it kind of go, oh. Yeah. But, <laughs> I know, because um, Paul McCartney did a single with Kanye West, so there's, he's, you know. Oh, kinda, there's, there's hope. There's a modern there's, there's connection hope, there. 
Exactly. But, you know, it, it's, yeah, and, and also for me as well, the reason, and I do post quite a lot, and, and it's certainly not an ego thing. It, it's, it's certainly not ego-based. But I think another reason why I, I am quite active on social media posting stuff is because I do, one of the most lucrative things about the Jules Gig are the endorsements that I have. Uh, you know, I've, I've been with Ibanez for a number of years now, and I, I use other instruments. I still got older instruments, vintage instruments, but I predominantly use their, their bases. And it's, uh, you know, same with other companies with very strange, whatever. And the, the thing is that for me, I, I post stuff and I try and mention the gear on there. And because what I'm doing is I'm saying thank you. Mm. You know, this is. This is me showing my support to the companies. And I'm saying, well, thank you for your support. Uh, you know, because, you know, Ibanez in particular, they put my image up. I think it was about 30 feet high at the, the, the last NAM show that happened. How, how cool is that? Like, yeah, amazing. well, I thought well, either cool or it's very terrifying. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think it may have scared some people off seeing my <laughs> face that, that high. But that never happened before. I'd never experienced that. So, so they, you know, they... they like I said, they're very supportive as the other companies are. So for me, when I do the social media thing, it's as much for me to say, look, here's me using this. I use this gear because so it's as it's as much as that. It's as much as me saying thank you to all mm. the companies for their for their support and uh, uh, and what have you, you know. But uh, but yeah, I, I guess it will be kind of fun for me when I'm even older than I am now. Uh, I, I guess it's kind of be nice to look back on, but. Uh, yeah, I like it anyway. I like seeing the picture. I love seeing all those pictures. I never thought it was uh, you were just showboating around. It just it was nice to see the pictures. <laughs> oh, the that's archive. good. <laughs> I'm sure some people do think that's what it is, but no, no, it's it's just kind of. Um, and and I'll be on, you know. And the truth of it is, I think the people that if people do think it's any form of showboating, you have to ask the question: if it was them, if they had my gig, if anybody had my yeah. gig, what what would you then do? Exactly. You know? <laughs> If you had all this video footage of you playing with these iconic and legendary people or photographs, would you just keep them to yourself? No, (laughs) you're going to be posting. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I I think I'm kind of lucky in the fact that because Jules does have a TV show and he did have a radio show. So I was in a very unique position. So obviously some of my mates have great gigs. They're playing much higher profile bands than I do. Uh, you know, which is kind of great, but they tend just to be in that one band, which is fantastic. That's really brilliant. The unique thing about the Jules gig is, yeah, it's one band, but because of his, the TV show, we get to play with, you know, so many more people that you would never get to do in any other circumstance. I mean, no, people never. used to um, <clears throat> people used to compare this gig of mine to, to Will Lee on the, the David Letterman show. Because uh, obviously he was in the house band there and they had to play with mm. a number of artists that came on. I guess the biggest difference is that the Letterman show was a chat show with with some music. Yeah. Whereas Jules Holland's is a music show with some chat. Mm. I guess that's the slight difference. Yeah, so but more people, um, Yeah, the people often used to compare compare the same thing, you know. But yeah, I mean, sure, if, if, if I didn't have the Jules gig, I wouldn't have played with all of those artists. It mm. just, it would have been impossible. It just wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been any other circumstance where that could have happened. No, it's once in a, once in a lifetime kind of gig <laughs> where that happens, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, it's really unique and, and I'm really pleased to, to have it, you know, and I, and I hope, I hope it'll keep going. I don't know how, oh, I guess as long as it, 
it's very popular on this side of the of the, the sea anyway so i'm sure it'll That's keep good. going we well, as like long as see that. people in ireland watch the hoot nanny for new year's instead of watching the national broadcaster oh, is that people, right? so <laughs> that's a good uh, sign sure sure well i guess as you know jules still loves playing i mean even, even with all of his accomplishments and accolades he's he, the bottom line is he loves playing so we've already just had our, our tour dates for this year we've already had the rehearsal dates for the hoot nanny so it looks as though things are going to carry on as they are. But, you know, for me, also working with my wife now, because when Lucy and I met, she wasn't a professional singer. She only became professional a couple of years ago. So actually, I'm, I'm doing lots of gigs with her. You know, she's booking me. She's my mm. other boss. <laughs> so, um, and, and that's fantastic because that really fulfills my jazz needs which again yeah. is why i came to london in the first place because i wanted to play jazz with jazz musicians so so we get to do that quite a lot uh together so yeah so she she thankfully she books me uh whenever she can i can't always mm. do the gig so she has to get other bass players but more if i'm free i luckily i'm her first call bass player which cool. you should try to come over here for the the jazz fest if you can in october yeah, the cork jazz sure. there's so many and jules does it doesn't he sometimes we we have done it in the past yeah, yeah. but yeah absolutely because you know she's gaining a reputation uh, and she's already worked with some amazing uh uk jazz musicians i mean real kind of jazz royalty people like uh, dave o'higgins and graham harvey uh, and and he, I think even she was a little surprised when <clears throat> she was able to get these musicians to work with her because she's only really just started out. And I said to her, never underestimate uh, what, what offering a musician money can achieve, <laughs> exactly. my sweet. <laughs> you know, it's, a, as, it's a great lubricator. <laughs> we don't, you don't want drink only when you're like 19, 17 <laughs> even. After that, it's money or that's Exactly. All. Well, as, as, and as the saying goes, a gig's a gig. Yeah. You know, it's exactly. we we all need we all need to work. You know, as I said, uh, you know, and and it's yeah, I'm really pleased for her. You know, but I'm 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 pleased for us both because, like I said, it's it's almost like a, a second career I've got now on on the side. So and also, it's brilliant. You get to do the thing together instead of you being gone for the, the for the night or the weekend. You know, that's that's a yeah, pretty big exactly. cost. Like, yeah. So thank. Luckily, we've got grandma. <laughs> uh, who, who who can look after our son Oscar? But um, but yeah, and I, I love doing it because I think for me, jazz is closest to my heart. Like music wise, if you look at the majority of my music collection, it is it is jazz. I think that's what I started out listening to, and it's the music that excites me the most. It's mm. also it's also the music that's the most challenging because not only technically, uh, you know, the technique you you need to have on your instrument, that kind of facility, but also the the harmonic complexity of the music, you know, you really need to know your stuff to be able to play jazz effectively. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong. I, I'm still happy to do rock stuff or funk or pop, or whatever, but really, you know, jazz for me is the one thing that I'm, I'm most passionate about. It's what I love listening to. It's what excites me the most. And it's certainly what I love, <clears throat> what I love playing more than anything else, you know, and, and the, 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 the Jules gig, it's not, a jazz gig as such it is called Jules Holland and his rhythm and blues orchestra and on tour majority of songs are kind of R&B soul blues type thing but that's to me that's still closer to the jazz world yeah than if if I was in a death thrash metal band <laughs> yeah, or whatever <laughs> whatever you call it would you play that yeah. if so if like it has that might happen on Jules some death metal band will be on and then well, leave you 
Well, do you know what? I, I, I guess the closest I, I've come to doing anything remotely like that was I, I did play with Lemmy. Oh, class. We, we played with Lemmy. And again, that's on, that's on YouTube. And he was a guest on uh, that Chris Evans show, Don't Forget Your Toothbrush. Mm. Uh, and he, wanted, he, he did two songs with us. He did Good Golly, Miss Molly, which was obviously much more suited to us. But, but he wanted to do Ace of Spades. And I thought, well, this is going to be fun. Uh, and I, was, I, I got a, an old Fender Jazz, which I still have. It's a 1978 Olympic white Fender Jazz. That was my main bass back then. Uh, and I thought, okay, so we've got Lemmy here. He's got his Rickenbacker. So it's another one of those situations. I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to sit down and, and mm. I'll sit this one out and I'll leave it to Lemmy. And Jules is looking at me saying, no, come back, come back over here. And I, and I, I thought, well, why, why do you need two bass players? Because mm. at that point, I'd, I'd never played with one before. So um, I think Lemmy was fine. Don't get me wrong. He was a great guy and he was, you know, I, I love him, loved his playing, all that stuff. Nothing against him at all. But what he was playing was very like a distorted fuzz. Yeah, yeah. He goes through a Marshall stack, like with loads of drums. Yeah. It doesn't even sound like a bass guitar. Really. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So he he was like playing chords almost. So the fact is the one thing that you couldn't hear was like a bass line, mm. a, 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 like a clean bass line. And I can't even remember what the official line was. But anyway, but I listened to the track. So I ended up playing like a clean, uh, uh, what I thought was the baseline on the record and mm. just let, let me do his thing. <laughs> uh, and, and it's so weird because like now, all the things I've posted on YouTube, every day when I kind of look into my emails and it sort of says, oh, like someone's commented on YouTube and I just know it's the Lemmy clip. It says <laughs> that everyone absolutely loves it. They lost their mind. And uh, I'm just thinking of all the stuff, all the other things I did with Smokey Robinson and, Paul Simon and Amy and Adele, but it's the Lemmy clip that everyone comments on and loves, you know. So <laughs> uh, he's a complete legend, I guess. Like people, well, exactly. They just want to watch him, you know. Yeah, I mean, you can just see me in the background, a little, little tiny bit. Again, I still had some hair, you know. But uh, but yeah, it was it was kind of fun to do. But yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I I'm still a gun for hire to some extent, you know. Being a session musician, you know, I, I will just step up to the plate if I can reasonably do it, if there's enough mm. time to learn the songs, whatever. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, a jazz for me, playing, you know, playing double bass, playing in a jazz situation is, is probably where I'm, where I'm the happiest. You know? Did you hear Stanley Clark's album, um, Rise of Strings with Aldi Miola? It was kind of what, not even, he was playing electric for years and then he, this one, he's back on the double bass and he's doing a bit of bowing and everything. It's really class album. How uh, how old is it? Or how recent? Is uh, it? It's about ten, twelve years old, but it's oh, okay, really good. Okay, I mean, I, I definitely got all the early stuff uh, of Stanley's, and uh, and again, you know, I, I was really impressed with him because he was one of the few players that played both instruments to a super high level. I mean, these days there's there's way more guys that that can do it, but back then he was, and I love Jacko absolutely, you know, and. Uh, like I said, he Jacko's definitely in my in my top three, but I uh, but yeah, with Stanley, the fact that he played both so well, I was just completely, I mean, annoyed the hell out. <laughs> yeah, you know, because he was me trying to be unique, uh, and and that's the other thing as well. When I came to London, it was very easy to get gigs because first of all, there were a lot less musicians, 
uh, around. I mean, these days, everyone's a musician. It doesn't matter where you go. Everyone, mm. Everyone's got a guitar or a keyboard and everyone wants to be a musician. Back then, it really wasn't that the case at all. So I came to London. There was a lot less musicians. There was a lot more work. There was a ton more work. And also, there was, there was a small group of bass guitarists and a small group of double bass players that were getting all the session work and all the gigs. But there was even a smaller group of guys that played both, a very, very small group. And I was able to join that, playing both. Mm. Uh, and I was still playing trombone as well, but really, I, I knew the future was going to be on with double bass and bass guitar. So, so I was able to... That was a huge thing for me. That's what got me so much work early on and got me established very early on. The thing these days is like, there's so many guys that they say, yeah, of course I play both. Yeah. yeah. Bass guitar, double bass. Yeah. And then you, you've got these, you've got the next generation that, yeah, I play double bass. I play bass guitar. I play keyboards. I play mm-hmm. keyboard bass. I play bass pedals. I do BVs. I'm an MD. <laughs> <laughs> I do it all. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I, I now feel completely underqualified. Mm. Oh yeah, I just play you know trombone, double bass, bass guitar, double bass guitar, and it, you know it's just that everyone does everything now. Uh, and I guess you know it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the gig or get no. a gig, but I, but I suppose you know it's 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 great to be versatile. It's it's very and I think with more, I think the keyboard thing is definitely more of a pop situation. Yeah, uh, I mean I, I've never been asked to play keyboard bass in all the stuff. But you know, ironically, I've I've only ever been asked to play. Well, not even been asked to do it. I've only had to to play slap with Jules. I think twice in forty one years. And how are your chops as a slap bassist? Well, do you know what? They're probably probably very poor right now. But but in the eighties, in the eighties, you know, I I I I think I was probably rather quite good at it. <laughs> You know, because I because I spent a lot of time doing it. You mm. know, I, I used to listen to like Marcus Miller a lot and Mark King. I practiced like crazy, and the work I was doing back then it was expected of me. Everyone wanted and needed bass players to do this. So, but I think what happened is when when I when I came to London and I just thought I want to play more double bass, I want to play jazz, all that stuff. Uh, it became less important to me, uh, and then, and I realized as time was going on that like. And it was starting to become unfashionable as well. Yeah. You know, like the late 80s, early 90s. But a lot of people really weren't that, it wasn't that big, big a deal and stuff. And, and when I got the Jules gig, and personally, he's not a fan of it. He's not a fan of, <laughs> of this, right? So I thought to myself, well, if I don't need to do it, why, why spend, why still try and keep the chops up? Because, yeah. it, you know. And then what happened is I think we, we, we had to play with Barry White's what uh, one show and I listened to the track and it was a new track of his and and I listened to it and it sounded to me as though there was some slap on the on the recording so I kind of thought and I hadn't done it for years and I so I did a little bit of work mm. uh, and and the the song is called Show Yo Right and that's also on YouTube it's on that Chris Evans Don't Forget Your mm. Toothbrush show and you can hear me playing the slap at the beginning of it but I think that's the only time you'll ever hear me do it. Uh, is is in that clip but yeah and and then everyone that we got called for i think i did it one more time with boss skaggs on one song but everybody else there was no slap bass so every time i get a recording and i have to play what's on there or i have to emulate it i wasn't hearing any slap at all there was just no no one was asking for it and 
And we're talking about like pop and funk artists mm. as well. Uh, and I just thought, well, you know, I, I thought, and there was much more important things that I wanted to be studying. Like, you know, I wanted to be working on my bowing technique on double bass. Uh, I wanted to keep my trombone chops up, studying the guitar, whatever. These things for me were more important than trying to maintain slap chops that I may never use. Exactly. And that I've never been called to use apart from those two times. So it was about priorities, uh, really, you know. And, uh, and, you know, and to be honest with you, I, the person that I really admire doing it and, and is Marcus Miller. You know, he's the one that I can really listen to a lot mm. doing that. Because I think the way he phrases with it as well, you know, he, he, he's almost like phrasing like a, a vocalist. But other than that, I'm, I'm not really too, I'm not overly keen on it. You know, if, if, if I come across videos on Instagram and, and the, the, the still is the bass player like this, yeah. with his thumb ready to go, <laughs> I don't know. I Skip. Yeah, ge- generally, generally. I think the thing. best um, slap bass lines, especially in the last few years, are just pure simple. Like you could play them if you couldn't play slap. Often it's just like a pop at the start of a bass line, especially sure. kind of, you know, in the late 90s, a lot of the pop music they had one little slap in it, but like, I suppose you would call it a slap, but it's not a slap bass line. The rest of the bass line wouldn't have any slap in it. They just throw it in, in little parts of the song. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what happened with the boss Skaggs one. It it was on the TV show and I can't remember what the track was, but it literally was mostly finger style. And every now and again, it just had that budu. Yeah. But just very, very sparse. It it was, it was hardly, it was hardly there, you know, but um, yeah, I I just kind of think, um, and also, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, when you see a lot of players on social media and on YouTube and on Instagram, and they're doing this kind of stuff, and I'm thinking to myself, I hope for their sake they're getting gigs playing that kind of mm. thing. I hope it's not just them in their bedrooms, countless hours doing this. I hope they're actually sort of doing gigs and earning some money from it, because otherwise it's, you know, you have to question the motivation there. <laughs> well, funny uh, enough, the last time I played slap bass is when I recorded the intro music to this podcast. So I'm, oh, really? I'm yeah. slapping the bass, <laughs> but I haven't slapped it since like about two sure, years sure. ago. So. I mean, the thing is, I would never talk anyone out of, I would never say to people, don't even consider it. Because, you know, the one thing I've always stressed to people is if you want to be successful in this industry is to be versatile. You really do need to be as versatile as possible. People... People love booking guys that they know, yeah, you, we play a couple of instruments, we can read, we can improvise, we've got, we've got great ears. I think it's important, and stylistically, it's important. So, I mean, I love playing with a pick. Yeah, me too. I, I love, really like love that. that. And, I, and I started off with that. I, I didn't start off with my fingers. It was all pick. And, and actually, some of my favorite bass players of, of all time are predominantly known as pick players, and they include Anthony Jackson, um, Bobby Vega, Carol Kay, mm-hmm. Cody Wright, Steve Swallow, who was an amazing, or he still is, amazing. Uh, he used to, he was a great jazz double bass player, but he was one of the few guys that switched to bass guitar in the 70s, I think. Left the double bass behind, and he was a fine, fine player. But then he plays bass guitar, and it's predominantly jazz. He plays a lot with um, John Schofield. Uh, and he plays with a pick. So he's playing an electric bass guitar with a plectrum, but he's playing jazz. I mean, it's almost unheard yeah. of, but you listen to his sound and it's, it's beautiful. It's really mm. beautiful. So big, big fan of Steve Swallow. So yeah, I, I, I love hearing the pick in situations that, 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 not, that it's not rock thing because mm. a lot of people just think pick 
it's got to be rock, it's got to be metal. All of the guys I've just mentioned, uh, you know, are like jazz, fusion, funk players. And you listen to all of those guys with the pick, I, I adore it, you know. So, so for me, and I definitely get called to play with the pick way more in the last 40 years, and I've been called to do this. So, yeah. so I just rather just choose things to work on that I know are going to be more useful. I think if you're younger, it's important to be a bit more open-minded. But then, then again, I'm, I do kind of wonder how many gigs are out there where you where people want slap bass. I don't know. Maybe there are there's loads. Not, of them. I don't think there's many, like, to be honest, <laughs> unless someone wants to email me and tell them, tell me about the gig they got doing the slap. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to know. So, but I mean, I, I guess if it's something that you want to do, then it's kind of great. Again, for me, growing up, you know, turning professional in 81 or something like that, I had no choice. Absolutely. It was all about slap bass. It was all about it. If you didn't do that, you, you, you wouldn't get gigs you mm. know, or you wouldn't get, you'd get less gigs, but obviously the music changed uh, and, and my attitude changed and my wants and needs and, and stuff. So I'm, I'm quite glad to, to not do that. Now, again, if, if some, if someone came on Jules' show and, and it was definitely that I, w- I would definitely make an effort to, to do some practice mm. kind of thing, you know, it's like, because, you know, I mean, the thing with a lot of pro players is, we, we, we may not always be prepared for every single eventuality, but the, but we, well, hopefully all of us or most of us have that mindset of where, well, I'll, I'll fix that. I'll do something about yeah, that. I'll work on that. Like I'll work on that, you know, and obviously if it's just so out, I mean, if I got asked to like tour with the band and it was like, I don't know, you know, if it was like a level 42 uh, tribute band and I thought to myself, well, you know, that's, you, you'd be better off picking someone who who just does this all the time. But mm. if it was one or two songs on Jules's show, I, I I would then do all the work. I would do all the homework uh, to do that uh, to to play it effectively. Um, but then I'd probably that would be it, and I probably then wouldn't touch it again for <laughs> <laughs> another few years. Yeah, exactly that. Uh, you know. On your teaching, um, you I was kind of looking at your website. And you have some interesting stuff on it. You're kind of doing master classes where some people can just kind of watch the master class. You do one to one. You do a, you do a lot of stuff with the, on the teaching side of things. It's something that I, I I am quite passionate about, and I think the reason the reason I've, I am is because my education at school, and I'm talking about academic education, uh, was was pretty disastrous. Really, uh, I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> well, you know, your some, fault. Some, it was the teacher well, well yeah yeah some people like to blame the school or the establishment and other people are willing to take full responsibility and and i'm not sure i'm not sure which which it is really maybe it's a maybe it's a, a joint thing but i just kind of think that when i was at secondary school I, I didn't really know what i wanted to do i was a good athlete the only time i ever got an a on my school report was in was in physical education as it was called then so I guess in the back of my mind, I was thinking maybe some sportsman. I love basketball. I still do. I'm a big NBA fan. And athletics, I was really good at. So, so maybe in the back of my mind, I thought that was that. But academically, I hadn't got a clue. You know. So you know when you, you, you get to a certain age and you choose all your subjects, mm. you, know, you get to pick exactly what you want to study. And I made such a mess of that. <laughs> I made such a mess. Because I was picking subjects of where, so I could be in the class with my friend over there. Yeah. What are you picking? You know, I'll choose that because then we can hang out 
you know, and uh, and I thought, well, maybe if I pick woodwork and metalwork, so when I'm older, I can put up shelves and and do so. I'm the worst DIY man you've ever met in your life. My <laughs> wife is the one that puts up shelves yeah. and puts cupboards together and wires plugged. I'm terrible at that. So that was a complete waste, you know. And also because um, I didn't know, I wasn't playing any instruments when I chose those subjects. So I didn't pick music. And ironically, all the subjects that I loved were all the arts. They were the music, art, drama, literature they're the things that i was really passionate about but i didn't think they would get me a job mm. my, my parents were factory workers and even though i didn't think to myself i want to work in a factory but because no one in my family had been you know had like a, like a sort of job in the arts kind of thing, i didn't know it was possible for that to happen yeah, same, so yeah. i yeah so i thought to myself i love all of those things but how is that going to get me a job so I didn't pick any of the subjects that I loved. And this was, a, this was the biggest mistake I could ever make. And this is what I say to people now. You really have to follow your bliss. I think that is actually quite a famous quote. I can't remember who said it. You need to follow your bliss. You need to, whatever it is you're, you love and you're passionate about, assuming it's nothing criminal, uh, <laughs> like robbing a bank or anything like yeah, yeah. that, obviously, then, then you need to think twice about it. But if, <laughs> assuming it's not that, you know, you need... It's important to do that, and almost to the exception of, of anything else, because I didn't do that. I didn't do that, and, and I and I was then had all of these academic subjects like physics and RA, and I just thought I don't like these, and I didn't want to study them. So my whole school education was it was catastrophic, really. The only saving grace was at the end of it, I decided I wanted to give an instrument another go, and I went to that trombone teacher. And as he just revealed to me a few months ago, he said, I made sure I stuck my neck out. Uh, well, he didn't say those words, but it, it's what he was inferring that mm. he, he, he went the extra length to get to the school to take me on kind of thing. And he changed my life. He, that day, he could have said, forget it. The school yeah. has told me you're too old. That's the end of that and close the door. And who knows what could have happened to me then? My whole life could have changed. Mm. But it's that sliding doors thing. Yeah, and he took me on, and and that was it. But then I embraced music like crazy. But of course, at this stage, I was just on the verge of leaving school, so I didn't have the opportunity to study music academically. It was just purely through an instrument. So I think because of all that, that's why I'm quite passionate about teaching because I, I realize the importance of the difference you can make to someone's life. Uh, you know, by giving them a certain piece of information, or by tutoring them, or mentoring them. Uh, I mean, I was lucky that I got that with my trombone teacher so late on. Mm. I wish I'd have sort of done it sooner. But that's the reason why, you know, I like to help people because a lot of mistakes can be made. A lot of bad decisions can be made. There's a lot of misinformation out there as well. And the thing for me is because I've had 41 years in this industry this year. And the thing is, and I know a really a lot of what needs to be studied and learned and stuff like that. So I'm not just... And I'm not just sort of a tutor that that just that doesn't do gigs and doesn't do tours and sessions. I've done all of that. There, there isn't any, there isn't much more I could have done to pass on that experience, uh, kind of thing, you know. So, so yeah, obviously it's changed quite a bit because of the, the pandemic. I, I, you know, I often used to teach in person as well. So these days it has to be online, and I've got a lot of students <clears throat> in America, but I kind of do miss that in person. Mm. 
thing. I think that's really, really important, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I'd like to do a lot more of it in the future, you know, like different schools and whatever, you know, so I'm, I'm all for it, but um, yeah, it, it's something that I, that I really enjoy and it's just nice, you know, to pass on that. And, and it's real, it's real world information as well. It's not just stuff that I've imagined. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, and I think I, you're, you're right about the whole mentor thing as well. Like, is you, you could easily fall into this being the teacher who just shows them a few, shows them whatever. But you, yeah. when you become a mentor, you kind of become invested in that student and really p- pull yeah. them along. You know, absolutely. And and also a lot of the the most relevant advice, and it's not just about the academic side of it or the technique. It, it is about sort of behavioural, uh, and it, and it's about how you conduct yourself. It's the whole networking thing. It's the do's and don'ts of, of networking uh, as well. You know, there's a lot of mistakes you can make. There's a lot of pitfalls. I've seen players attempt to network and they've done it all wrong and they've upset people and they've, oh, no. that's, the end, that's the end of it for them. They, they won't get called again or, or certain, certain behavioral things or attitudes. And this is something that you can't always get, uh, you know, from just watching videos or or just just by focusing on the the acad- academic side of it you know there's a lot of other things there i mean you know when i when i first auditioned for jules because i was very low key and i think jules liked that um but perhaps had he have already got his tv show and i'd have been thinking wow if i get this gig my life is going to change like beyond recognition i'm mm. going to be playing with all these famous people then i might have been woo hi jules yeah come on come on let's do this you know and he'd have gone, Whoa. Yeah, not sure about this guy. <laughs> you know, um, but but it was kind of good. And I don't think I would have done quite that. I might have been a little bit cockier than, than I was. But I, I, I don't think I'd have gone too crazy because that's not the kind of person I am. But I think it was even better for me that I got the audition before anything like that happened. Because it was so low-key that it was, there wasn't much, you know, just, yeah, I'll just turn up and play and that's that, you know. So... So, you know, this is a lot of stuff I talk to with, with students. You know, it, it's a lot of the other stuff that, you know, people don't always think about. You know, the career advice. And believe you me, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes in my career. Uh, and, and, and I can, luckily, they are examples that I can use. They're not too shocking mm. that, I, that I'm not able to tell. Any, any that you want to share with us? <laughs> Well, the thing is, without well, getting libeled or something. No, no, no. Well, one of the first ones—it's actually quite innocuous, but it's still terribly embarrassing. You know, when when I was, uh, and and I hadn't even taken up the bass at this point. I was just playing trombone, and I was still at school, I think, so like sixteen. And um, I got a call to 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 play in this jazz funk band in in Birmingham, not far from my home in Wolverhampton, and they were kind of uh, playing Earth, Wind, and Fire type stuff like original stuff, but it was very, that kind of thing. And I loved Earth and the Fire, I still do. And they, they, they formed a horn section. So they got a sax player, got a trumpet player, needed a trombonist. So they called me up and I, and I went to their rehearsal room uh, and, and they, you know, they'd probably got a proper manager. They'd got a choreographer. I mean, it was a, you know, they, they were doing really well with this band. And I was loving this. I was playing the trombone, playing all these great funk parts, but I, I, I was just starting to get into the bass. So I'd be playing the trombone, but I'd be looking, behind me and I'd be watching the bass player as well doing all this kind of stuff so I was you know 
uh, taken it all in. And these guys were quite a bit older than me. So I was 16 and they, they, they would have been in their like 30s, mid to late 30s, or something like that, or, or, or certainly yeah, somewhere in their 30s. Right? So um, we got this weekend in France. We got these two gigs in a place called Rouen. And I'd never been abroad before, I don't think, or maybe on one school trip. So they, they picked me up in this van like at four o'clock in the morning. You know, I was still living with my parents, of course. And, and we went on this trip. Now, all these guys had really flamboyant costumes. And I hadn't got anything like that because they'd been going for years and they'd had all these costumes made. And all I could dig out was a red shirt. <laughs> and I don't know why I had a red shirt. And my school trousers, my black <laughs> school trousers. That's, that's, that's it. I didn't have anything else. So uh, it was the most funky I could get. So anyway, we, we went over there and we did the first show and, and we were playing in a nightclub just down the road from the hotel. And we didn't start playing until one in the morning, something like that. And we did like a, like a long set. Um, yeah, so we'd done the soundtrack and we'd done the first gig and it was really cool. It was fantastic. And I loved it. I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. What a fantastic life this is. Uh, and then the next day we all went out to, to walk around this beautiful village uh, and again, I'd never experienced a lot of the things I was seeing. And we were having all this amazing food and enjoying delicious red wine, <laughs> delicious French red yeah. wine. What could be what could possibly go wrong? You know, it's like it's like, you know, midday or two o'clock, whatever it was in the afternoon. And I'm a 16 year old glugging red wine. What could what could possibly go wrong? Anyway. Uh, we, we stayed out, loads more drink, loads more food. And then, I mean, I wasn't falling all over the place, mm. but I must have been fairly intoxicated. You know? So anyway, we went back to the hotel later in the day and, you know, we just agreed. We all said to each other, OK, well, we'll see you at the venue, which was like a, was just a few doors away. So I went to my room and I, I didn't have a watch at the time. Uh, you know, so I just went to my room. This was probably four o'clock in the afternoon or something. My trombone was there. All that stuff. And I just thought... Oh, I feel a little bit sort of a bit wobbly. So what I'll do is I'll have a sleep and then, you know, sleep for a few hours and then wake up, shower, all that kind of refreshed and go to the gig. So I crashed out. And then next thing I know, I woke up in a start. Oh, bloody, what's going on here? So then, you know, it was very dark in this room. So I went downstairs and, and the reception area, the guy that owns the hotel, it was completely black outside. And the guy who owns the hotel was asleep on his couch. And I'm thinking... That doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> What's going on there? So I came outside, pitch black. I ran down to the venue and the band were just packing up. Oh, jeez. They were pulling all the, you know, and the look they gave me. And I'm kind of, and I was, I was devastated. I was beside myself. And I'm kind of going, what, 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 what happened? And they sort of said, you know, we, we banged on your door. You know, we were kind of going, don't do mm. this show. And you didn't respond. So we, we thought you weren't there. Blah, blah. And I thought to myself, hang on a minute. You know, I thought, well, I'm, I'm terribly sorry that I did have too much drink and I fell asleep. But I could have been dead in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I thought, so you just banged on the door mm. and there's a 16-year-old kid in there and you just left him. Mm. Like that. I thought to myself, how about going to the manager, getting, yeah. getting him to open up, we want to check if this young kid's okay. Mm. But they just did that. So, oh, he's not there. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so, obviously, they were quite miffed with me because I've missed the mm. second gig completely by, by a good hour or more. But I thought, myself, well, I was a little bit miffed with them. And I thought, guys, you know, anything could have happened to yeah. me in, in there, you know. <laughs> 
So again, it's it's like the education, the school thing, you know. So who, who, who's who's the most responsible? But of course, you know, I I was very young. I was a kid. It was it was I was caught. I was intoxicated. Yeah, with, by the, whole, the whole thing, like the touring thing, you know. So yeah, too much to drink. Uh, you know, didn't have an alarm clock thing. Didn't say to the guy in the hotel, "Can I set an alarm?" This was something that didn't happen until much later. Mm. Uh, you know, but yeah, young and naive, inexperienced. But just the fact that we'd done all of this rehearsing for several weeks, <laughs> for two gigs, and I miss one, I miss a whole that's, gig the that's second disaster. <laughs> you know, so so stuff like that. And and you know, I've always said to people, for me in this industry, some of the the most important and the best lessons that I've learned. Have, have happened or they've come from the most uncomfortable, maybe even embarrassing situations. You know, sometimes you really need to be put on the spot. You really need to be called out. You need to feel embarrassed. You need yeah. to feel awkward because it's, it's under those circumstances that you really sort yourself out, that you, that you, you know, because sometimes with, with lesser mistakes, you just think, oh, whatever, you know, it happens to everybody, you know, but I think, yeah, the the real benefit comes from the ones where you really mess up big time. And you <laughs> where you just, get roasted. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. And it might be, you know, it might be on a bandstand where you, I mean, we did this one, <laughs> this one gig with Jules earlier on and we were in Sheffield. Uh, I think it might have been the, the Lead Mill, I think it was called. And um, and we were on stage doing our gig and it was the smaller band, Nine Piece. And, you know, there's a, a, a great artist no longer with us called Edwin Starr, like a soul Motown artist. Now, I wasn't familiar with him at all back then. Now, years later, we got to play with him on the TV show, but his two big hits were called War and 25 Miles, I think. Right? Now, the song War, again, these are on YouTube. It's a very specific bass riff. Uh, and, it's, and it's kind of like, and it's, quite, it's like a lot of semiquavers. So the first bit is like, dum, 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 dum. Dum, digga, dum, dum, bum. So that's quite simple. But then the rest of it is like lots of semiquavers. Now I didn't know this song at all, and I didn't know who Edwin Starr was. Right? So we're at this gig with Jules, just doing our set, and then Edwin happened to be there. Jules knew him, and Jules said, "Oh, do you want to come up and do a song?" And Edwin said, "Yeah, yeah, sure." It comes up. Now, usually, if, if you're going to bring someone up on stage to do a song, it's got to be something fairly knowable, you mm. know. So let's do like, let's do a 12 bar, you know, let's do mm. something where we vamp on the one or it's a two chord thing, you know. And he must have said to Jules, oh yeah, let's do war. Okay. <laughs> and then Jules has probably kind of got, and I don't know if Jules knew it or not, but he's looking at me across the stage, kind of going, war, do, do you know it? And I couldn't really work out what he was saying because I was across the other side of the stage. And, and all the audience are there watching this and I don't want to be standing there kind of going, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't got a clue, mate, you know, because I didn't want to be embarrassed. Yeah. And I didn't want to be that guy, you know. So whether or not Jules was aware that it was bass led, I think. So I'm kind of going, yeah, whatever, whatever. I thought to myself, what can this song be? It's probably just a blues or something yeah. like that. And of course, I realized that when it starts, the first thing is me and the drums have got to go bum, 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 bum. Yeah. An order tune. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the bum, bum. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just, and I'm just kind of going, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and then Jules is looking at me kind of going and I'm kind of going ah. and then and then Edwin Starr bless him forever the, the professional he was really sweet about it and he kind of goes <laughs> he's kind of goes to the audience 
oh, come on, guys, you know, they, they gave it a try. Come on, let's, let's <laughs> give them a hand like this. And I don't think, I don't think he was being sarcastic, but, mm. you know, I mean, I felt like yeah, this big, you know, and, and really I, I should have just been honest to Jules, even though I couldn't see exactly what he was saying, but I should have just gone, yeah, in reality, no one could have played that song if you've never heard yeah, it yeah. and it has all no. these stabs and stuff. It's not possible. And, and stops, I had no clue. So now the thing is with, with that, it's kind of, you could argue, well, what can you learn from that? Well, it's tricky because you, you then can't say to yourself, oh my God, I need to learn every song that anyone's ever written. Exactly. You know, you, you, <laughs> Everyone you, that you might can't... turn up in the audience so I can play yeah, that song. Yeah, you can't do that. But I guess what I, what I would have done is I then would have gone and listened to it uh, you know, and, and I scrutinized it. I can't remember if I transcribed it. I did at some point transcribe it, but I would have at least, you know, gone and gone to listen to it, you know, and then, and then realized also that in that instance, you, you need to have the confidence to say, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. Yeah. You've got to be honest a, a, about it or, or you'll get, you'll get scuppered, you know, but, but it's like on jazz gigs. Sometimes I play with people and they'll call a tune. That I don't know. And what will happen is that a jazz gig is slightly different because you know, the idea is that they'll play it around and the piano player might play a chorus of it. And then what you need to do is listen like crazy. And also, if you've got piano knowledge, then I can look at the piano player's left hand and I can just say to him, just do one chorus and just hit the roots. Yeah. And that would be a thing for me. And that's the same with Jules, because I, where I stand now, I, I'm looking over at him. And sometimes we'll do stuff that we haven't played for years and I might not remember it immediately. Uh, but because I know the, the piano keyboard, I know where the notes are, and I just watch his left hand and I follow it. And after one chorus, hopefully mm. I've got it. So, so you know, um, so sometimes you can do that. But obviously with that particular song, War, it, it was not a busker. <laughs> Wasn't going to happen. If you, if you didn't know it, you didn't know it. So, no. but, um, but yeah, it's just... It's just how how you you know how you react to things and and how you and what you can do about it. If there's something you can do about it at all, sometimes there simply is, you know. But at least you just try and remember. Yeah. So in in future, I just thought you know don't just kind of go yeah it'll be fine I know it yeah it's great when you don't. Yeah, that's a good one because it wasn't <laughs> your lack of playing ability. It was your lack of confidence just to say no, yeah can't yeah do you know because I, I was embarrassed because all the audience are looking at me and they just want me to say yeah I know that it's fine let's go <laughs> and I didn't so whoops so the egg was on my face anyway uh, well, you learned from it anyway <laughs> yeah exactly that exactly and you have a savage bass guitar collection which I saw on YouTube which I was amazed by like people always say I have a good one back here but you're, you've got a you've got is that something you've been into over all your years as a pro bassist kind of um like picking them well, up. Well, actually, well, fir- well, first of all, I-, I have to say that the the collection that's on YouTube is almost entirely different now. It's almost changed completely. Really? It's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Because back then, you know, there was some stuff I had, and it was, you know, and I-, I actually had one Ibanez bass when I when I had that photo uh, shoot done. I literally had one Ibanez, and now Ibanez makes up the majority of my bass collection. I've probably got sort of like 80 Ibanez now or 50 or 60 or something like that because I just fell in love with the vintage ones uh, and then decided to collect those. And then Ibanez saw that I was really passionate about their older instruments and then asked me if I wanted to play the more modern stuff. Uh, And I said to them, I said, well, yeah, and I I like six-string basses. And I didn't really – I don't think I had one at all at the time. 
So they they started to sort of say, well, we'll, we'll try this one, try that one. And six string basses for me, I love playing them because they're so versatile. Mm. Sometimes on tour and on the TV show, I don't have the space to have multiple instruments. So the main thing is I need an upright bass and I need a bass guitar. And for me, having a six string is is the obvious choice because I can do so much more on that. You know, I mean, the, the low B is more crucial than the high C strings. Yeah. But even on but the, the thing I like having about the high C is because if I'm sight reading on TV, which I had to do this time around, if you've got this, the high C string, it means you can play in one hand position mm-hmm. for longer period of time. So you can just move across the board. Whereas if I just had a four or five string, you know, I would have to be making much bigger leaps yeah. to get higher notes. And then, you know, it's quite risky on a TV show when you're sight reading to do these jumps because there is the possibility you'll lose your place. So with a six string, I've got all of those notes pretty much across the board, or mm. I might just have to move one, one fret. So, yeah. so that's why I'm, I'm a big fan of them. But, but yeah, the collection, I guess um, when I was a kid, I, I, I used to love collecting. I'm a big horror movie fan. I love old horror, sci-fi, fantasy movies. I grew up watching the Munsters and the Adams Family. So I used to collect bubblegum cards and I, I'm a big Planet of the Apes fan as well. So I used to collect Planet of the Ape monster bubblegum cards. I used to collect posters, models, action figures. And I still do. I still do collect that stuff. And someone said to me, you know, once you're a collector, you're always a collector. Mm. You know, you'll always find something else to collect. And so I didn't ever start off wanting to collect bases. Like in the early years with Jules, I had uh, I had my double bass and I had a couple of Fender Jazz basses, a couple of 70s fan of jazz and that was that was it really but then i started to get quite interested in them and sure enough you know it started the obsession kicked in uh you know and uh, and yeah I, I don't know i think bass guitars i've probably got about 100 now i've i've just got the one double bass but i've probably got six or seven electric upright basses uh, i have to say though that in the last couple of years i the whole thing has slowed down because now I'm, I'm a dad as well. I became a dad. So obviously my priorities have changed a little bit. Because I used to spend a lot of time searching for this stuff. People yeah. would say to me, my God, that's so rare. How do you find it? Well, because I'd spend every waking moment on the internet. I would really? just like all day and all evening when, when I had any, any spare time, you know, going on all the obvious places and going to like, uh, you know, uh, guitar shops and uh, vintage shot all that kind of stuff i mean I, I i put the time and effort into it. it was it was not easy and a lot of the stuff a lot of my instruments came from the states so i had to import them myself or from or from japan or whatever so you know it was it was hard work having that and the maintenance of them as well it is but um but yeah i i really love doing it and i also enjoyed i've got lots of fenders i've got lots of particularly p bases i've got a lot of old p bases but not 60s stuff it's just more 70s mm kind of things and 70s and early 80s but I, I, for me it was more about the quirkiness i kind of like more unusual instruments more so than just going for just vintage and just that's it it's just about the vintage i kind of like unusual quirky things but yeah i've definitely slowed down on that uh because you know i'm just thinking it is it, it did get out of hand at one point <laughs> well if you have 100 bases and you live in london it's not yeah, ideal yeah. like and and also, yeah, I mean, the sort of space thing becomes an issue. And then if you've got to pay for storage, that gets expensive. But also, I think it was as much to do with having a family mm. this late in life, you know, sort of uh, 
that that changed a lot of things. I I, I don't think my wife Lucy is going to be too thrilled at sort of many more coming in. No, and you can't use uh, the old trick um, of buying all your guitars in the same color so your wife doesn't notice. <laughs> yeah, being a musician, I mean, herself, she'd know what the difference between them is. I've managed to sneak a few in, but I, I, you know, she's far too shrewd for me to to sneak anymore. So, uh, but I'm and I'm pretty happy. And to be honest, you know, since I started to use, and I still use, and, and bear in mind, I don't use all of these. I mean, some of them were just bought as collectible pieces, and because I just wanted to have them. I mean, some of them are just are not played. And I know people would say that's sacrilege. It's crazy, but it's just the way it is. And um, but I do still play some of the vintage ones. Um, but really, I mostly play the modern day Ibanez and they are predominantly six stringers. And in fact, I'm getting a new one quite soon. It's a brand new model for them. It's only just come out and it's a six string BTB, uh, but it's fan fretted. Um, mm. And it's and it's it's longer scale length than usual. And um, I'm very excited about that. I think that's I mean, I've got a couple of fan fretted ones of theirs, but this is a longer scale. So that I'm going to get that quite soon, but uh, but yeah, I just and the thing is, people also say to me, "Why that brand?" You know, because a lot of people associate Ibanez with student entry level yeah. instruments. Now, the problem there is that when I, when I my first ever five string bass was was an Ibanez, uh, and I, I got it back in the late '80s, and it was a, a five string Roadster, but it was really weird because they got it was a four string neck. And they just squeeze an extra string on there. So the, the, the what do you call it? The, <laughs> oh, uh, the string spacing it, was. Yeah, tiny. the string spacing. Yeah, it was crazy. And, uh, and because I was playing a lot of slap stuff, then it, was, it wasn't ideal for me. So I didn't have it for long. Ironically, now I've got two of those in my, in my collection. Later <laughs> on, I got them out of nostalgia. But um, the thing is, you know, those, the, the really great era for you know for, for some of these particular bases was when sting was using them in the late 70s early 80s and they're that the musician series they're some of my favorite vintage instruments ever probably my first my, probably my favorite four string bass is a is an ibanez musician mc924 and i've got quite a few of them but they are still four string instruments uh you know and as great as they are on the jules gig i need as much versatility as possible mm. so I just embraced the whole, the six string side of it. But the thing with Ibanez, people get very confused with this brand because, you know, if you go into a high street music shop and you see the Ibanez on the wall, they are the, 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 the students entry level models. They're the cheaper models. So, so people are, people have got this impression of Ibanez that they're just like a, a cheaper, lesser brand. Mm. You know, it's because they haven't seen the high end stuff exactly. and neither, neither had I. Mm. so when Ibanez uh saw me I think I think it was Bass Guitar Magazine and Jules and I we were featured well I was featured in the magazine and Jules and I were they put us on the cover and I'm holding one of my vintage Ibanez and Ibanez saw this and they thought oh, wow yeah, this is kind of great that the, the this, this attention is being given to our brand so that's when they got in touch and said would you like to use the newer instruments and and I and all I could think about was the stuff I'd seen in the high street shops Mm. And I'm thinking, thinking, uh, uh, yeah, hang on a minute. So I went to the warehouse of theirs and they start to bring out these high end BTBs, sound gears, prestige. And I'm thinking, where is, (laughs) where have all these come from? (laughs) I've never seen these before in my life. And they were stunning, absolutely beautiful. And I just thought, this is nuts. 
So I, you know, I picked up the first six string, uh, uh, this BTB had Nordstrom pickups in there. And it was just glorious. I just thought to myself, man, I have to have this bass. It was the first one I picked up. But then I'm looking at the others thinking, actually, I quite like that one as well. Mm. I think I quite like that one. Uh, eventually, I, I did end up with, with, uh, with quite a few of them. But the thing is, I, w- I said to them, I said, this is crazy. I said, I've never seen this in shops before. And this is the problem. Other people are not seeing these. Yeah. So the name Ibanez is always being associated with with the lower end student stuff and i said this is the reason why the, the reputation is very you know it's it's a it's a confusing brand mm. uh you know so I, I, but the trouble is they don't want to fill music shops with these with this high-end stuff because obviously they are a bit more expensive yeah and then they don't want to put they don't want to lose the student entry-level market they don't want to do that no. you know so that they've always there's always been a and because their range is so crazy it's so vast, you know. The different models they have are just nuts, and and because they and they're just numbered as well. They don't have names yeah. like they used to, like the studio or the musician base. They've just got like almost serial numbers, so it's very easy for them just to make loads and loads more because because they haven't got to think of a, a great name. They've just got to <laughs> have a new number. I don't think it's a good system because it's like it, yeah, it, it uh, doesn't have the name recognition. You're like you see I, someone I playing it, you're like oh, that's the new whatever name yeah, they yeah. want to give it, like. I, I, I have to keep saying to people, this is my new BTB uh, 1606, my new BTB 1826, my BTB 1404. And it just doesn't, you know, it's not very evocative mm. or anything like that. So, but make no mistake, their higher end stuff is better than anything else I've played out there. And, and what happened is I have owned some very high end handmade so-called boutique instruments made by luthiers that everyone knows and i'm mm. not going to name names because it just wouldn't be fair but um all i can say is you know the old the old adage that all that glitters is not gold <laughs> yeah so i i have been quite sort of surprised and often disappointed mm. at some of the more boutique high-end stuff that i've had and the, the ones that i've paid for you know thousands and thousands of thousands of pounds there's been a couple of exceptions, but there's been some where, and I just got to the point where I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I spending a fortune on instance? Because it's got a certain name attached to it yeah. uh, or certain players are using it. And, and the ones that I've ended up with, I've, I've either not been impressed with, I haven't bonded with them or, or they, you know, I've been extremely disappointed with. So it was almost like going with Ibanez who were almost kind of the underdog in some ways. Mm. Uh, because of the association with with the more beginner instruments and and i'm then discovering that these are as good as if not better than these boutique so-called boutique instruments it was almost like a a rebellion i rebelled against this this thing you know and of course the ibanez are like less than half price or, or more than that you know and 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 i love them i've never had any problems with them i think they're stunning instruments they've done everything i've wanted them to do they're a great company very supportive so um so yeah that's that's pretty much my brand i mean having said that there are times if i'm doing something where using an old p bass the flat wound strings is going to be a better choice on a track or a, a recording sonically yeah now th- there's no problem with that i'm 
it's fine for me to do that. I'm, I'm not under this very sort of strict sort of contract where you can't use anything else, you know. But, um, but I would still predominantly choose Ibanez as my, as my brand now. And, and I rarely look at anything else. You know, if I go into a shop or if I go online, I'm just interested in what, what they're doing. Yeah. What are they making? I, I, you know, cause I'm so happy. But well, it's cool that they do bring out a lot of models because, you know, Fender before well, re- recently they have brought out some models but say gibson don't bring out many new bases very often yeah right? sure but, but uh gary willis is endorsed by um ibanez he has a signature one doesn't he yeah there's uh, well the thing is that the it's interesting with, with the with the endorsers uh and, and they have yeah they have signature models so there's the bass players there's gary willis uh there is gerald veasley uh i mean there's, there's obviously uh, thundercats I mean, there's there's a couple of a couple of other guys, but they do interestingly. They tend to be fusion players. They tend yeah. to be more jazz fusion players or metal guys. Okay, um, and then it's interestingly in the guitar uh, in the guitar world, they're they're all kind of jazz players. So there's George Benson, there's Pat Metheny, uh, John Schofield, all these kind of guys. Now, I, I think when I when I got involved with them, the thing that they were really pleased with with me was because I'm like a working a working bass player. Mm. You know, I'm not a, a fusion guy, I'm not a metal guy, anything like that. I'm I'm a session guy, working player that has to cover a lot of styles. And I think that for them was that's what that's what they wanted, and that's what they still want. You know, because they because they know that a lot of people out there, a lot of younger players, they're they're not going to be end up being high octane fusion soloists no. <laughs> they're just going to be doing gigs they just want to be working players like me so i think that ibanez were they embraced me because of that because i'm just like a working a working player and they wanted to appeal to that kind of player more so i i, I became i guess a bit of an ambassador yeah. for that for the working working music the basis, you know, the, the basis basis, you might say, like following yeah, in yeah. the trenches, playing the normal kind of bass lines and but, stuff. Exactly, you know. And the thing is, and they, we've talked about a signature model, and and I said to them, to be honest with you, I don't really need one, and I don't particularly want one. Now, I know, I know a number of players out there that have ended up with with signature models. Now, I, I don't want to go into too much detail on this. I don't want to upset anybody, and I'm certainly wouldn't name names, but I think. I think it's, don't get me wrong, it's very flattering. It's very flattering and it's a great honor, you know. But I think a lot of it is ego led, uh, you know. And it's it's also one thing if a company comes to you and they're very keen to to make you a signature artist. But the thing, you know, you can go to a luthier now and you can say, I want a signature instrument. Mm. And they'll kind of go, yeah, okay, but we'll make you one with it. But that's you going to them, asking for that. So, is that a signature or is that a custom? That's it's definitely a know. custom. I think you know it's very different to a big, big company yeah. coming to you and saying we want to make a so and so signature model for you. That's that's a that's a very different thing, you know. And for me, um, like I said, I, I see a lot of that, and it's very ego, it's very ego based, and uh, you know that's. Each to their own. I'm I'm not being critical. It's just an observation. But from my point of view, I actually really love what their, their stock instruments. Mm. Okay, and I always have done. Now they did make me. They've talked about it, and I said I don't really need one. I I don't need one. Why? Why? I've I've got the gig. 
I'm working, everything's fine. And I've got your instruments and they're all off the peg. All of my Ibanez were off the peg instruments. And they kept saying, and, and, and I said, well, look, if you want to do something, why don't just do a custom one? And they, so they, they made me a couple of years ago, a BTB. So the same body shape. I got to choose the, the wood on top. I got to choose the color. And I, I chose like, I think it was Bill Poplar. And I, I said, can we have a blood red stain to reflect my love of horror movies? And I said, I really like Nordstrom pickups. So let's put those in there. Electronically, the only thing, diff- oh, I wanted a zero fret. And the only thing differently we did, um, on their older instruments, you, you had like a three-band active EQ, but you also had a passive tone control. And they stopped doing that on their modern instruments. And I really missed that because I like to use the passive tone control on the vintage ones in conjunction with the, uh, with the active electronics. So I also said, if you're going to do this custom one, can you put me a separate passive tone control, mm. which is what they did. That was probably the most dramatic difference. Yeah. And, and, and I love it. You know, it's a, it's a great base, but it's a custom, it's a one-off custom base. It's not a signature model because to me, that's the other thing as well. For me, if I was ever going to do that, and I'm really in no rush to do it, if, I was, if they were ever going to do a signature model for whatever reason, I, I would want to work more on it than that because yeah. it's almost like, you know, with a certain companies and they'll just change the color of something <laughs> and that will be some of the signature or they'll move the screws like yeah. an inch that way, or they'll move the thumb rest this way. And or they'll use a slightly di- they'll use different screws in the bridge. And I'm thinking, does that really constitute? I think the nature of it is that like guitars have been around so long now, the formula has almost been perfected. So that's they're yeah. like, they're like, I love the model you have, but to make it a signature, I suppose, just move the thumb rest or the screw yeah, yeah, or yeah. something. Yeah. And to me, that's really clutching at straws. You know, that's kind of, I think for me, if that was going to happen, I'd want something a bit more, I'd want something a bit more radical. And there again, there's a problem there because if you do something too radical, that's going to sort of put people off, if it's going to be too different or too wacky, because, because yeah, that will make it different enough to get attention because people go, oh, wow, look, he's had that and that there. But on a practical level, is that going to appeal to people? I liken it to uh, there was an episode of the of the Simpsons once, and I think Homer discovers he's got a long lost brother who is really ultra successful, and he owns this huge car company. He's like a billionaire, and and he brings Homer in, and he's got all these guys working for him, and they're all great designers and, and technicians, whatever. And he said, "Look, I want Homer in because he, he's the guy." He's the guy next door. He's the mm. regular Joe. If anyone knows about what the people want, it's Homer. <laughs> so you lot, you know, just shut up. And Homer's going to come in and design this new car. And, of course, he hasn't got a clue, has he? So Homer designs this car. And he gets unveiled the end of it. And it's got like a bubble top, <laughs> like some spaceship. And it's got flames coming out the back of it. And it's got all these ridiculous. And, of course, the guy thinks, oh, my God. And he said, I'm ruined. I'm, I'm ruined. You've bankrupted me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And obviously, it's um, it's an over exaggeration, but you know, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, for me to have a signature model, there'd have to be key things to, just to make it different and interesting and unusual to what's already out there. But it's how far you take that yeah. to the point where is it is it just too out there for people, and people will kind of go, well, that's ridiculous. What? Why has he done that? What? You know. Mm. So it, you can go too far the other way. So it's very it's a fine line to to get that right. And that's the reason why I've never been any rush to have one. And, and I said to them also, 
I said, now I'm an official endorser of Ibanez. I said, what, what better endorsement could you wish for where I'm actually using the stock instruments that anybody else can go and buy from shops? Exactly. You know, off the shelf I haven't, is the yeah. most important thing. Like, I, Yeah, I have got this one off custom thing, but it's not that different from, from the others. It's more to do with the woods and the color of it, you know. But I'm using certain BTB, certain sound gear ones, and there's nothing custom about them. If you if you order them from anywhere or go and buy them from anywhere, you're getting the same instrument that I'm getting. So I said to, to me, that's a better endorsement of the product that I don't need to have this tweaked. I don't need to have this yeah. altered or customized, or I don't need to have a, a brand new. I'm playing what everyone else can play. So you know they seem to be happy with that. But I mean, maybe one day, maybe one day we'll do something. But again, I, I'd I'd probably just be happy with a, another custom base with some changes and the signature model. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think I, Oh, I don't I, think I'm I'd go for it personally. Famous. If I got asked anyway, <laughs> I'd be like, Oh, that sounds great. But you're obviously different to me. You're like, you're not sure about it. But also I, I'm, I'm really not, I'm not famous at all. So, so then that, why would people want to buy a, an, a, an instrument with my name on it? You know, most people don't know who I am and what I do. So uh. <laughs> funny you say that, like, you know, you could tour the whole world and it would mean nothing to most people, but the fact that they see on the telly every Saturday night to a, to the average person in the street, that means you are famous more than well, yeah. that Maybe. you're doing well. You know, if you're on the telly, that's kind of like a barometer. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know. I'm, for me, I'm just glad. I'm just glad that I've I've been able to do this for for as long as I have. You know, because um, you know, I mean, I didn't expect any of this to happen. I didn't. I, I didn't know you could make a living from it. You know, and the fact I always say it's better than working for a living. You know, which uh, <laughs> and I have tried that. I, I I have had a couple of jobs prior to this, very briefly. But but you know, it's it's a very unique thing. But but again, it's you know, I've always been very diligent with and very conscientious about the the actual craft itself you know i haven't ever taken it for granted i still i'm still always practicing and always sort of studying and uh you know and, and you know i'm quite i'm an enthusiast about the instruments i mean i go to conventions i go to trade shows if and when i can i genuinely love like every, every aspect of it you know um obviously these days with a family thing you know i probably don't i'm not going to get to 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 do that as as often as i'd like to but uh but yeah i mean the main thing is for me it's 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 the work it's the craft it's it's doing the best job you can you know and and to maintain that as well not to sort of take your foot off the gas and think oh i've always i've done it all now mm. i can just take it easy because uh you know the trouble is the more you do it and the more of a reputation you get there's more to lose uh, when people know, are watching but, you <laughs> they're watching well, yeah. what you're doing exactly you're, you're scrutinized a little bit more so you can't really you know completely just be, be too flippant and casual about the whole thing you still have to um i mean it's quite weird the way we, we when we record the new year's eve show because prior to covid we the room was full of other bands there was like five or six other bands and and a, a big audience as well and of course whenever we had to play Bear in mind the other bands, their bass players have been playing their music for years, whereas we've only just been playing these songs the day before. Yeah. <laughs> or or, or the, some of the rehearsals, some, we actually rehearse on the day of, of the recording. You know, that's how that's how late things are, kind of things, right at the last minute, rehearsals. And we've got to play them as well as the people did on the original recordings. 
We've got to play it as accurately and mm. also authentically. And we've only been playing them for a day or half a day. Uh, and and then when when the when the other bands used to be there, I was also you're also very aware that there's like six of the bass players in the room, you know, <laughs> you? In, in in all the other bands, and you yeah. and they're all kind of there <laughs> like this. I'm, no pressure, no pressure at all, you know. Um, but of course, the last two years, because of the COVID, we they've not been able to have any of the bands there. It's just us playing what we would normally play x amount of songs, and then in between where the other bands would play, they put stock footage of previous Hoot Nanny shows from, mm. and they've got plenty of archive footage to use. But it was definitely, it's a bit more chill because you haven't got an audience and you haven't yeah. got like six of the bass players kind of watching you kind of there. What's, <laughs> he's going to make a mistake, you know? So, um, so yeah, that was, that was a bit more relaxing, I have to say. Well, keep to keep the chops up for when it comes back as well, because the other bands will be back soon, and the audience. Yeah, so that's yeah, exactly that. You know, and so yeah, it's like. But again, I think my impetus really for who and what I am, ironically, came from failure, and it came from failure at school. It came from because I've got two older brothers, uh, eight and eleven years older than me, and they're very, very intelligent guys very very clever I, I admire them so much and they both play some guitar not professionally but um you know th th they were mentors to, to me at home more so than my, my parents because they were obviously younger generation so they were the ones that were bringing instruments into the house and pianos and playing music um i mean the funny thing is that they were listening to all the artists that i've ended up playing with <laughs> so they're probably really annoyed at me because they're thinking well hang on we, we bought all the records and these were our heroes and our snotty nosed little brother he's the one that ends up actually performing with them all those years later you know so <laughs> probably hate me really but um but yeah you know they went to good schools as well they went to grammar schools and church schools um and again, I, I don't want to at all put the blame on, on, on the school I went to. So I think it was as much to do with me, but I, I just wasn't ready for it. I just wasn't prepared. I wasn't motivated. I was not confident. And I think for me, it's like my education started when I left school mm. or just at the end of it, you know. So I think for, for me, because I, I don't have any O-levels and A-levels and all this kind of stuff, I think after that, because I was so disappointed and I thought I'd maybe I'd let my parents down because uh, I hadn't done well academically. I mean, they were thrilled I was playing a, an instrument. They were really thrilled. But I still felt bad for them. And I felt bad about myself as well. So I just kind of think that after that, that's the reason why I, I then became this uh, compulsive student. And then, then I thought to myself, okay, this isn't going to happen again. If I'm going to apply myself to one thing, I'm going to really do it to the nth mm. degree. I'm going to practice. I'm going to study. I'm going to learn. I'm going to whatever I can do. And I think that has been my propulsion and my motivation all through my professional career. It was the fact that I failed at school academically. You know, so maybe had I been far more successful and I'd have got O levels and A levels kind of yeah. years, you know, maybe I'd have got cocky about it. And maybe I'd have wanted to do something related to those qualifications. But I think because I got so fed up of seeing like <clears throat> D's, E's and F's <laughs> and reports where it's a disappointing exam mm. result, must do better. Uh, you know, ironically, the, the only time I ever got an A was in sports and my trombone lessons. My trombone teacher always gave me A1 and he said, <laughs> Dave's making great progress. So thank goodness, right at the, right the last minute, I found... 
I found my bliss. I yeah. found my passion. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> the two roles would have diverged very differently if you hadn't met that man who gave me the chance oh, yeah. on the trombone. Sure. That's the reason why when I when I saw when I met him and his wife recently at our gig, I made sure I applied them with quite a quite a few bottles of champagne because I thought it was the least I could uh, <laughs> at least I probably didn't thank me for it the next morning. But <laughs> um but yeah, I definitely wanted to show my gratitude one way or the other. Well, that, it's fair play to you. Gave him a good shout out to, on this anyway as well, so he'll appreciate well, that. Well, well, that's great. And and I and I gave I said to Jules as well. I said, listen, my trombone teacher's here tonight. His name's Phil Johnson, uh, and I said, you know, he's retired from teaching, but he's still, you know, he's still still around, still doing everything he does. So I said, yeah, if you could, if you give give him a shout out at the gig, this is in Birmingham, this is at the Symphony Hall in Birmingham. I said, I'd be I'd be very grateful because Jules doesn't normally do that, you know, like mm. whether it's someone's birthday, it's not. The thing that he does yeah but i but i i emphasize i said this guy changed my life you know phil johnson my old trombone teacher he changed my life it wasn't for him i wouldn't be here you know so jules jules made a big fuss of him uh on there so thank you for letting me mention him here as well because he yeah if it wasn't for him i don't think i don't think very little of this would have happened well, thanks for coming on. That was one of our most epic chats, I think, on Bass <laughs> I can't apologise enough. No, no, it was brilliant. Uh, I'm going to put all your links in the description anyway. All, all the videos we chatted out and everything will all be down there. Oh, bless you. Thank you very much. My pleasure.